Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves, and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Today is no exception. I'll let Elise fill you in on her extraordinary guest. All right, over to Elise. Hi, I'm Elise Lunen, co-host with Gwyneth of the Goo Podcast. In today's special episode, in efforts to spread awareness and helpful information on how we can best manage during the coronavirus pandemic, Kim John Payne is joining us. Kim John Payne is an educator, school consultant, family counselor, and the author of Simplicity Parenting, using the extraordinary power of less to raise calmer, happier, and more secure kids. His work focuses on the feeling of overwhelm that many of us manage on a daily basis, and he specializes in finding ways we can build deep connections with our children. So today, Kim is sharing strategies and tools we can use to remain calm and connected with our kids, especially while many of us are cooped up in the house together right now. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Tell As one of the people who's cooped up with my children, tell me what to do. I'd, I'd add my children and their stuff. <laughs> Hi, Elise. Hi. Gosh, yeah, and their <laughs> stuff. How, how about we start right there, hey? <laughs> You know, one of the one of the things that that uh, uh, there's kind of four or so things that I think are going to be helpful. One of them is dealing with the stuff, dealing with the toys, the books, the, uh, clothes, just with the clutter. Uh, and the reason um, this, with kids being home, that this might be a time to think more about that because. I guess we've all been thinking about it a little bit when that clutter just seems to just grow and grow. But the reason that I'm thinking about a, a lot right now with my kids also being at home is, is that there's a lot of, there's sort of a lot of chaotic stuff going on in kids' lives right now. They're hearing things from their friends at school, if they're school age and so on. And there's a lot of anxiety in the air. So having, taking the time to really now um, declutter and making their play spaces, their bedrooms, real places of not just calm, but uh, of order. Because mm -hmm. so much is getting out of whack, out of order in kids' lives now. The thought of, of, a, of a child going to bed each night in a bedroom that is really calm, well-organized, uh, is is what it signals to them, and and this is um, non-verbally, which I think is much more powerful for little kids than than verbal stuff. What it signals non-verbally is that everything is well, everything's in its place. I am secure, I am safe. There's been a lot of uh, advice about what to say to kids in the media in these last couple of days. 
And that's good. Um, that's fine. What I'm particularly concerned about is uh, um, the kind of baseline message kids get that, it, that is underneath words, because our children are not primarily verbal creatures. <laughs> they, they are, they're like little sense organs. You know, they sense what's going on around them. They pick up when mom or dad are upset or anxious. They, 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 they pick things up through osmosis like that. And having a, a well-ordered or even kind of well-ordered and seeing mom or dad or, um, or a, 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 a guardian clear up, declutter, um, and not just the bedroom, their bedrooms, but the pantry, um, the lounge room, just getting things in order is I think gonna be really helpful for kids if they're gonna be home for at least a week or two or more now. It sends the right message that all is well. Yeah. And I think for, you know, just listening to you, I'm like, oh, I just want to go home and and do this because it makes it's the one thing that we can all kind of control. Ah, you, you, now, at least you put your finger right on it. We had a, a, a parent write into us just this morning saying with all this craziness, I'm sure she wouldn't mind me, me uh, paraphrasing this. Um, with all this craziness going on this morning, we decluttered again because this stuff creeps back in, right? But she said, we decluttered again, and it was something I could have control over. So mm -hmm. it's exactly as you as you point out. Yeah. Yeah. And I also just, you know, I think about our first conversation on the Goop podcast, which sat well with me, but heavily in the sense that, I mean, we just did a massive purge after of, you know, it was, it was so counterintuitive in a way when you were like, even books. Um, cause to me, books are treasures and the idea of ever even putting any of them in the storage set shed seems anathema, but also like thinking about how we need to homeschool our kids, entertain them, et cetera. Um, it is overwhelming. Like when I look, when I go into my, my kids share room, I go into their room and I'm like, I don't even know what, I mean, it is an overwhelming amount of choice. So is it also helpful in the context of creating schedule and direction? Yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I'm right with you, is that I think, like, for example, books are precious, but we all kind of know what is rare is precious. Mm. And that's why creating libraries, clothes libraries, book libraries, toy libraries, cycling, like the average American kid has over 150 toys, right? Like we talked about last time, Elise. And, um, and so that, that means a 3000 piece Lego set is just one. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so um, dialing all, all that back uh, is, is on a, on a, on a sort of a visceral neurological level two sort of fairly deep levels it's it's actually creating a space um, and this is what I think is kind of important is if we're going to be at home with our kids for these weeks we want an environment that is not uh, triggering that is calming to them because a lot is up in the air at the moment and so if we want to have uh, them in, in terms of their own nervous systems calm on down that's where my interest is particularly going right now. I've had a lifelong interest in neuropsychology, neurobiology. 
And I'm looking at kids uh, in schools right now. I've just been visiting schools just before school closures started. I was, I was visiting in a bunch of classrooms and they're abuzz with this. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to be bringing not just potential germs home, they're bringing anxiety home. And so my advice in these four layers, one of which is decluttering, is, that, is pretty much orbiting around the nervous system of, of children so that that then also their nervous systems calm down so that our nervous systems as parents also don't have to be dealing with kids whose behavior is all about, um, well, it's all about pinging. And you might remember we chatted about that a little bit last time where I said to you that um, I've never met a disobedient kid in my life and I've met some right little rotters, I can tell you. (laughs) Counselor and family, I've met some buckets, I tell you. But But I don't believe in disobedience. What I believe in is is disorientation. Our kids are disoriented when they misbehave and their behavior, all it is is pinging. It's like like being echolocated. They're sending out behavior in order to orient themselves. Now, that kind of thinking is, is super helpful in one way because if we know why our kids are acting out, it's really hard to take it personally. If we ask ourselves, I wonder why you're so disoriented, you know, and, and by the way, don't say that out loud. I think you're really weird, but the, um, <laughs> but it's just, you know, it's just like, I wonder what's going on for you. The, it's very hard to get into it then with kids to get into an escalated argument. But knowing our kids are coming home, hearing a lot of stuff, and they're in a little, they're they're in a kind of a, 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 a hyper vigilant state. If everything we can do that's going to be helpful to them over the next couple of weeks is going to be helpful to us, because they're not going to be pinging us. They're not going to be trying on behavior, trying to to um, you know push our buttons, mm-hmm. and so part of decluttering that's that's like step one (laughs) and it feels good to do it feels you know too like when we think about um you know decluttering sort of matches uh vibration wise what we're all experiencing in the sense of like our schedules have been stripped away we're all sort of wondering how to function for those of us who never have worked from home how to function without that sort of structure and schedule and our kids who are, you know, as we've discussed, often way overscheduled, suddenly have no schedule at all. And um, it's it's terrifying, of course, and feels really strange and foreign. And then it also presents the opportunity of like what's what's important and what's not. And then how do we rebuild from scratch? So for for parents who are anxious about kid, their kid, you know, the pressure of trying to homeschool a child. My kids are young enough that it doesn't matter. But um, I know for that there is a lot of anxiety. I've heard it from my sister-in-law, et cetera, who has older kids, that her kids are very anxious about falling behind and all of that. Like, how would you coach people through those conversations and that thinking? And how important is it that kids are focused on their school curriculum right now versus focused on sort of recalibrating to a different way of being. Yeah. Yeah. It's 
One of the things uh, that obviously this, this time spent with our kids offers us a huge opportunity to finally spend some slow down time with them because it's being forced on us. Um, but it could, that slow down time could get um, tricky if, if it's just, um, if we're not, not sure what to do, what direction do we go in? What do we actually do with our time? So this is, this is for me, step number two <laughs> is, um, is create a lot of simple little rituals and rhythms of the day, because you see their day has had rhythm to it. You know, if you've got school age kids in particular, that, that chunk of the day that school really does provide a lot of predictability and rhythm. They've got to get up at a certain time, got to do stuff, get stuff ready, get to school. Then they've got to get home and the things you do at home. And it, and it provides a pretty um, strong pillar around which their day has been orbiting. So now we've got to come up with our own pillars. Otherwise they don't orbit, they're going to spin out right? It's not an orbit. It's, it's, it's not, it's a spin out. And so it, um, sitting down like tonight, sitting on down with a friend, with a partner, with a, you know, extended family and just saying, okay, uh, we're going to, we're going to roadmap the week. We're going to have our school day week and we're going to roadmap it. And then we're going to have a roadmap of the weekend, but we've kind of got that one because that's what we usually do but that's changing as well because of social distancing and all that sort of stuff but sit down and say okay getting up like getting out of bed in the morning how are we dealing with that now that the kids don't need to get the bus or whatever mm -hmm. it is don't need to drive them to school so how how are we going to do that what's the ritual going to be what time are we going to get up how are we going to have breakfast because normally breakfast is, is very different so now we've actually got time to sit down and eat um, so how are we going to do that? How's that all going to be organized? Okay, so let's have a little ritual of the kids coming down and helping make the pancakes, or let's have a little ritual about them uh, helping clear up and load the dishwasher or whatever it is, you know, I'm a big fan of kids helping with food and set up, clear up. Um, but Okay, so then after that, what are we going to do? All right, so the school, most schools, I don't know about your sister in law at least, but most schools are providing some uh, information, some online reading assignments, that kind of stuff. My wife is a teacher and she's, she's been on the phone and video conferencing all day today, setting up online uh, learning mm -hmm. environments for the kids. Most schools will be doing that. So, um, all right, so in the morning, we're going to do this. This is when we're going to do our assignments. In the afternoon, in the mid-morning, we'll do some artistic work. In the afternoon, it's free playtime, depending on how old your kids, but just roadmap it. And then in the evenings, here's how our supper time is going to go. Here's how bedtime stories are going to go if they're that age. Here's what we're going to do. And then do it the same, give or take, every single day. May, apart from the weekends, which is a different roadmap. What that's doing on a really deep level is it's bringing children into their limbic and frontal lobes, into the sort of cooperative part of their brain, the creative part, cooperative part of their whole being. And it's bringing them out of that amygdala response, that fight or flight response, which is probably in the first days or weeks what they'll be doing. There is nothing like 
a little kid having a picture of what they're going to do next. Let's say they're having their morning lesson and they're doing their assignment work and you're helping them with it, but they know home-based recess is coming up, a snack, and then after that, they're going to play with their Legos or do some painting or whatever it is. But when a child has a picture of what comes next and then it comes true, Mm. That's signaling to a child on a deep somatic uh, nerve, nervous system basis that all is well because they have a picture of what's going to happen and then it comes true. And so they, it's almost like putting a little, like a, a, um, a stepping stone and then they step onto it. If we have rhythm, not just with the schoolwork, but through the day, the kids are going to behave a ton better. They're not going to ping us echolocate us then because they're nervous and anxious and disoriented that mm -hmm. gives them the security they need to go through the day and it makes what we have to do as parents way less onerous because after gosh it's usually no more than three or four days they get into a slipstream of expectations and it's amazing how quickly when you set up a rhythm that that actually they start expecting it. So that's the second piece that is, is helping out a bunch of parents right now. And do you give them choice? Do you say like, here are the, here are the parts of the day that need to happen. We can figure out, like you can do Legos or you can do blocks or you can do, or do, is it better if you are highly specific? Like this is, this is the craft table activity today, period. Um, limited choice for little kids because uh, is like, okay, so this is our, what I'd suggest is that this is our craft part of the day. That's actually perfectly put. This is our craft part of the day. Today, we can either do, um, and now it depends on how old they are, but we can either do cutouts if they're very little children, or we can do some drawing. That's, um, or we can make, you know, we can play with our plasticine or beeswax. So they get a limited choice, but that's, but the, in a sense, you're building the container. This is craft. So we'll do the other one tomorrow. What would you prefer to do today? Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's perfectly reasonable, but it's really limited choice. And the beauty of limited choice, and this is another whole theme, right? Is that then our kids know who's in charge. And again, I'm coming back to just calming their, their anxiety. When little children, well, little children, like tween ages as well, uh, kids 9, 10, 11, 12, even old, 13, older ones, when they know who's in charge, when they really do know that my mom uh, is, her hands are on the steering wheel here. I've, because then the nervous system can calm on down because they're used to going to school where the teachers are in charge. Like no teacher is going to say, dear third grade, who would like to do some math today? I mean, it's just, right. it just doesn't happen, right? Uh, so in that sense, if we, again, step into that slipstream, it won't be weird for them to hear, this is what we're going to do, particularly in terms of school, because that's what they're used to. And yeah. so we're keeping them in their, their natural rhythm of that. So the choice could be, um, it's, I call these you may choices. You may choose between option A and option B. These are, you may. 
that keeps the parent in the leadership role. And when a parent is in the leadership role, a child again knows all is well in the world. I know my place in the order of things. I feel safe. It's good. And boy, do we ever need that at the moment. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then are there more steps? <laughs> Only two more. Oh, my. And all these are sort of, this is a multiple choice thing, right? You know, because not all of this is going to be achievable. But Oh, my God, just get us through. <laughs> yeah, really, really. So, so the, um, yeah, the third one, number three, uh, is relatively easy. This takes care of itself in some ways, and that's dialing back schedules, just dialing back a child's schedule so that um, there's not too much going on. Now, you could say, well, hang on, nothing's going on because we're, you know, we're, we're in this kind of social distancing stuff. In terms of schedules, um, if there, there are some schools that still aren't closed, right? They're still, we're still in that process. Um, but if you're in that kind of environment where, where this is being considered and it may happen this week, okay, first thing is that if it hasn't happened to you yet, start dialing back your kid's schedule so that it doesn't, when, when clubs and after-school activities, sports events and so on, when they stop as they very likely will, your child has walked off it. And so you've dialed it back through this mm -hmm. week or so. So, okay. But let's say um, you're already at home uh, with your kids. The schedule piece is strongly related to rhythm. In other words, if they're used to having, you know, stuff happen after school, there's clubs, there's play dates, sports events, musical practice and so on you might still at home want to have just that little something extra you might want to uh, have something in that normal after school slot but just take it easy dial it back use it as a time uh, for letting kids decompress because they've had a lot to cope with over these past weeks. Mm -hmm. In the Simplicity Parenting book, you might, you might remember I talked about the gift of boredom. Yeah. It's the gift of boredom because out of boredom comes creativity. Out of boredom comes innovativeness, adaptability. If, if we can be okay with our kids being home and being bored, that we as parents don't feel that we need to edutain them at all times. If we can just relieve ourselves of that pressure and let them be bored, let them be royally bored, beautifully bored. And if they come to you and say, mom, there's nothing to do. My, my response to that is, oh dear. Th th that's it, by the way, that's it. Oh, oh, really? Oh dear, it's not, well, let's do this, let's do that, let's do, it's like, it's okay that kids are bored. When kids are bored, next time your kids are bored, like today, <laughs> um, watch their body, their body slumps, right? And so what happens is their muscle tone loosens. All that lactic acid in their muscles, which was when it was tight and tense, and now they're just relaxed, they're slumped. It's actually releasing a lot of, of the toxins within their body 
that they actually need to release. So boredom is a, is a child's version of relaxation. That, that's a doorway to relaxation. But it's also a doorway to deep creativity. Kids are bored for maybe half an hour or so. And if you've got a couple of kids, by the way, separate them. But the um, but then creativity breaks out. They do stuff. They make stuff. If we can have the confidence to let them be bored without putting a tablet, an iPad or whatever, switching on the TV, just let them be bored. Then what happens is they start going into deep creative play. Now, the reason the nervous system right now, right now, needs deep creative play is that's a way a child digests the world. That's the way they handle stress. That's, that's the way they actually recover from anxiety. And so the fact that we've got time on our hands right now to let our kids, number one, be bored, and then go through that doorway into creativity actually means that they're going to have time to recover from a lot of the stress that's been around them with this virus and with what they're seeing and hearing. So, so roll on boredom. If we can handle it and keep in the back of our minds, this is actually okay. It's actually going to be okay because out of this, they're going to be able to, to recover, to repair, unstress, and get their, their nervous systems back on track. Do, do you have any tips? I, so I sort of have two follow-ups. Um, do you have any tips for parents who might have children with special needs or who are differently abled or maybe are, you know, have an aide at school or need extra support and they obviously aren't getting that at home? Um, and I guess my second follow-up would be to go back to cluttering, but maybe decluttering, but maybe we can do that after. But do you have any thoughts for, for those parents who are sort of extra, um, uh, I don't even know the right word, but, but challenged. Yeah. You know, for those, for those sort of kids who are not neurotypical is one yeah. term. Um, one of the things after 30 years now, of helping parents simplify and, and balance their lives. One of the things that is outstanding is, is, is um, this simple little equation. Just bear with me, because I think this is, this is right to the point of what you're asking. And actually, I really appreciate the question and the, the sensitivity of that question too, um, the inclusiveness of it, is that all kids are quirky, right? They all have their quirks that makes, make them lovable and kind of infuriating too. <laughs> um, but they all have their quirks. They might be just strong little ones, feisty ones, dreamy ones, but very organized ones. They all have their little quirks. And if you, there's a couple of kids in a family, you can hardly believe that they, they, they share a DNA because the, the quirks are so different. Um, but they are. When we add cumulative stress, fast paced, too much, too soon, too sexy, too young, too muchness, that kind of new normal of the supersized, fast paced, highly stressed family life. What it means is that that quirk becomes fevered. 
it's almost like an emotional fever, a soul fever. And, and the quirk becomes problematic and then even a disorder. It slides along a spectrum so that the feisty child, if way too much stress, unrelenting cumulative stress, that feisty child, and it's just great that they're feisty, but they become oppositional and defiant. Mm -hmm. The child who's very busy, just loves to be busy, um, uh, that slides along a spectrum, becomes problematic, and then becomes, if we're not careful, hyperactive. The super organized child, um, if we're not careful, that becomes problematic looping and stuck behavior, but, if, but it can move along to become obsessional and compulsive. Now, for all these issues, all these sensitivities, all these quirks, the children who can't uh, pick up, you know, who are just pure little souls that not much of the world gets in to them. And they're just lovely kids, but they don't read facial cues, body language so, so well, but that's just who they are. Now, all what I've discovered over the years, and this is now, you know, uh, countless, it's really hundreds of thousands of people who, have, who are a part of this Simplicity Parenting community, is that we hear the feedback all the time and particularly powerfully from kids who, who are not so-called neurotypical, uh, is that as we gently simplify their life, just dial it back, the problematic behavior becomes just quirky again. And they just get, have, they just, it's, many parents have said, I feel like I've got my little boy back. Mm. I feel like I've got my child back. But here's the thrilling thing. It's, for me, this is more thrilling even than that, is that as we continue to simplify, the very thing that was their disorder, problematic and a disorder, actually becomes their gift. And it's, and it's the thing that they have come into this world to, to do. Mm -hmm. So the, 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 the feisty child who turned into being you know, oppositional the, their feistiness, they're the movers and shakers. If we allow their, their nervous system to calm down, now they're not in fight or flight. Now they can, they can have good timing about who they take on, when they take it on, and in what volume. You know, they are directed as opposed to being just undirected um, and just oppositional, and so on and so on. Children who are... Who are um, uh, let's say a little bit stuck and loop in their behavior and become obsessional, but they're the kids. I've met a ton of them who notice patterns and they're very socially empathetic because they notice if someone's sad because that's unusual and they pick up when there's a disturbance to what's normally happening in their friendship group. That's, that's a gift. That's a huge gift. We need the gifts of these kids. So, it's interesting that we're already starting to get comments because some schools, we have, we have over a thousand simplicity parenting coaches all around the world, and we have a ton of them in China. So schools were on lockdown in China some time ago. So we've, got, we've had feedback from our Asian uh, folk, coaches and group leaders, that actually this time at home with the kids has, has really helped um, parents rediscover the quirkiness of their kids mm. and their gift because it's, it's by uh, we've, we've had no choice that life has calmed down. And many of these parents are commenting, 
we are not going back into the fast lane. We're just yeah. not doing it. We're, we've discovered our child's gifts, their, their genius. We've discovered their beauty again. And we're going to keep life simple. We're not going back into that other way of being. And for someone like me, Elise, that's really thrilling <laughs> to hear. I was thinking, you know, for the, all the horrible things that are happening with this virus, I think there is at least one silver lining for that, yeah. for that family. Yeah. No, I know. It's so, and there are so many, you know, terrible things that happen all the time. And many of us are not aware of them, right? Like, um, and for, but for us all to be sort of acutely aware and involved and codependent in this, um, in this event is also offering a, a strange gift of, a recalibration at scale for everyone at the same time. I mean, it's. I think about like this is a small example, but at Goop we close the office for two weeks every August, and it's sort of this mandatory shutdown break, and no one's really. You're not allowed to email. You're not. You can't. If you want to work, go do. Go treat yourself to some work, but you can't put it on other people, and it's an amazing thing because you really disconnect. Um, and now obviously we're not, we're all glued to our screens and we're following, you know, live coronavirus maps and a lot of us are trying to work simultaneously, but it is, um, a gift of togetherness, even though it feels crazy. Um, but it's, it's possible to imagine on the other side that we'll look back and, um, feel like. Some, some beautiful things came out of it as well. Well, it's, I, I hope that for many of us, when we come out the other side of this, we'll come out of it, um, if we can pause and say, okay, let's make some choices about what we put back into our schedules now. Let's make some choices about what we're doing in terms of screen media exposure, which, you know, I, I'm, and this is and actually, this is the fourth one. This is the last one. Um, I should mention this is the fourth of these, these, uh, this is the last of these four things I mentioned is, is filtering out adult information, just too much adult information. And there's a lot of it around right now. And we kind of can't help it because there is a lot going on. But now, more than ever, do we need to filter this stuff and make some decisions around it. Like, before I say anything in front of my kids, I ask myself some questions. And number one is, is, is this kind? Is what I'm about to say kind? Or is it uh, just having a go at a political figure or you know, blaming or just a bit bitter? But is it kind? Okay. The second one is, is this true? Is it true to my family values? Not just factually true, because it can be true that there's a war going on in some place in the world where terrible things are happening, but is it true to my family values to tell my eight-year-old about some shocking bombing somewhere in the world? Mm -hmm. uh, chances are not. The third question is, is this necessary? Do I absolutely have to speak about this now, or can it be deferred? Is it is it is it life or death? Do I need to say this? 
And then the last one, and it's only four, the last one is, is it securing? Will this have my child, teenager or teenager, feel more secure? Now, if the answer is no to even one of those, my suggestion is to not say it. Mm -hmm. Is it kind? Is it necessary? Um, is it true? And is it securing? And if the answer is no to anyone, then I, I think we can just defer it, deflect it. And, and with so much information out there now about this world pandemic, this health issue that we have, we've got to be filtering that stuff from our kids. And for little kids, I, I, I'm not suggesting we keep them in the dark, but what they need to know is good people. And if you've got a little one, um, your kids age least, and they, and they, they might ask about it because, um, you know, it's school age, just or kindergarten age children, they might, they'll certainly hear about it, you know, and they're home now. It's weird. They're not going to school. So what's going on? Right. There are people that are sick and, um, and that there are doctors and nurses and all kinds of medical folk that have trained for this. They know they've practiced it and they're doing that right now. And they're working so hard to make sure everyone is going to be well and everyone they're doing their very best for us all. And to let them know that right here, you are safe with us. Now that's in words, but as I mentioned before, I think deeds, the deed of decluttering mm -hmm. helps secure a child. The deed of, of having more rhythm, it really signals to a child you are safe. Um, the deed of just letting them be bored and go into deep, creative, restorative play is, is another way. So that, that out of this experience, we are not just saying you are safe, we are being safe. We are creating a safe harbor for these kids to come out of the stormy waters and be in calm waters, knowing full well soon they'll need to go back out into the world, back out to kindergarten, back out to school. It's not cutting off the world, but it is saying there's a harbor wall and, you, and the waters are calm in here. And the last piece about filtering out adult information is to be exquisitely careful about screen exposure because it's, you know, it's really interesting. And I don't, I mean this not just for the kids, but also for ourselves is that um, we are right now, it's like a half hourly or even constant news cycle. And um, to really be able to dial back screens, to dial back screen exposure with this, this deluge of information that's coming uh, down the line at us is, is just to be kind to our children. And the other part of that is to be kind to ourselves. Right now, many parents um, that I work with that I know I've recommended to them, and I do this myself, is that I check in the morning, I check, okay, I check the news in the morning. And, I'm, and that's kind of it. Maybe some parents have said they want to check it in the afternoon, but not in the evening before sleep. Just not. Just, just go to bed knowing that you'll check in again in the morning and, and keep yourself informed. We, we need to be informed. But that 
half hourly or continual news cycle, it keeps our nervous systems raised because the way in which we're wired as human beings is that you would think we hear it once and then, okay, good, we're good now. And we hear it again and we think, oh yeah, I know about that. It's not true actually at all for our nervous system. If we hear something and then hear it again 10 minutes later, there's another little release of adrenaline and cortisol. And then another 10 minutes later, another little. And by the end of the day, we are just swimming in, in nervousness and anxiousness. And the way I think about this is, well, put it this way, I was really struck when I was um, in, in LA, uh, uh, near, not too far away from where you are now, Elise, and I was doing a, a workshop with a lovely man. We were sort of co-doing this workshop on childhood and, and development and so on. Called, and his name was Joseph Chilton Pierce. And years ago, he wrote the book, uh, The Magical Child, but he also uh, wrote a book about uh, transcendent biology. And he gave this amazing image of, of what I think of as co-regulation, that, that we need to stay centered and calm. And the image he gave, he said that if you take a cell out of a heart, a living heart, which you, you, you know people who know how to do this can, and you put it on in a special solution and look at it under a microscope, that heart will keep beating. It actually keeps beating. But sooner or later, it starts to fibrillate and then it expires. Now, when that cell is fibrillating and we take a cell from a completely different heart and put it nearby the, the, the expiring cell, the fibrillating cell, the cell that was fibrillating will recover and start beating in unison with the new cell. And they'll beat together and they will beat for a much, much longer time. And that for me was a very moving and beautiful metaphor for us needing to stay centered and as calm as we can so that our children who's anxious and, uh, and uh, who are anxious and their nervous system is a little bit fevered right now, they need us to be as calm as possible so that they can co-regulate and we can then emotionally beat together. And for us to do that, decluttering is going to help us. Getting life back into a really lovely rhythm is going to help us as parents. Allowing time for creativity. I've been, I've been I'm recommending this to every parent I speak with. You're going to have time to do the things you love. If you love to read, read some more. If you, if you love to stretch and do some, do, do a little bit of extra stretching and yoga or do something for yourself every day. And then finally, limit the news that you're exposing yourself to. Then our children can truly beat in unison with us and we can come out of this more deeply connected than when we went in. Hmm. It's beautiful. I have one practical quick question about the decluttering because normally I do it when my kids are out of the house. So any tips, like do you, should we involve them in the process or do I just lock them in the bathroom? Um, well, involving them in the process, it depends on your level of masochism. <laughs> <laughs> I'll lock them in the bathroom. But um, what, no, but <laughs> if they are home, 
um, then my suggestion is that you declutter your own space first, actually. Okay. So you, you, you know, your own bedroom, particularly shared spaces like um, kitchen cupboards, pantries, whatever it is, lounge rooms, you do that first so that they get the idea that this is actually not just being aimed at them. Got it. And it's, and it's nice. It's really nice to be in a decluttered space. The, one of the comments we get, uh, we get this question a lot actually, is when I, when I got rid of a bunch of my kids' toys, they played together better. Go figure. Why yeah. is that? And the why is in the brain, in the brain science, is that when there's fewer toys, and those toys are simple toys, they're not the really, I don't know, annoying battery-operated things, but they're just simple. They're just, they're not the ones that the naughty uncle gave, the gun that fires something repulsive. You know, just they're, they're simple little toys. When they're, then our kids get creative because they've got fewer stuff, less stuff. They get creative with those toys. And when they get creative, they get cooperative. That's the limbic system partly in the brain. So creativity is also related to cooperation. And when we declutter toys and have a toy library and have just, you know, 15 or 20 toys per child, which is already a lot, but we put the, and we, put them away in a basket of the evening and we cover them up so the children just can sleep because they're not, you know, not all over the place. It's much easier to clean up, right? <laughs> That's the first thing. It's a bunch easier to clean up. But um, the kids cooperate more, less sibling fighting, um, less stuff going on. But if you're going to declutter when the children are at home, if they're already at home now, then do your own spaces first and then just continue right on into the children's spaces as well and leave the kind of books, toys, almost leave that to last. You know, you organize the clothes, make them look nice. Um, just start with that, but then, then just very matter-of-factly um, get some boxes and have that toy library, book library, and make space and just saying, you know, we're going to be at home for a couple of weeks at least right now. Let's just make a little more space. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Here for it. I'm going to go. I'm doing it as soon as I get off the phone with you. Okay. All right. Thank you. <laughs> You're the best. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, the, 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 it's, it's so great that the, um, the Goop community uh, have have someone who, 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 who cares about parenting, cares about home life like this. It's, it's just been a real honor to speak with you again. Thank you. Um, and I'll talk to you soon and in brighter days. <laughs> and bright days right now too. Exactly. <laughs> okay, Elise. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Kim John Payne. You can learn more about his work at simplicityparenting.com and check out his book, which is also called Simplicity Parenting. He also just released a five-part podcast series on how to cope with kids being home from school if you want to take a deeper dive. That's it for today's episode. If you have a chance, please rate and review. Hit subscribe to keep up with new episodes and pass it along to a friend. Thanks again for joining. I hope you'll come back for more. And in the meantime, 
you can check out goop.com slash the podcast.